So we're going to talk today about uh, uh, the hymn, A Little Town of Bethlehem. And I just wanted to repeat some of these lines to you of the first verse. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in the dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And we've probably sung that a million times from the time we were very young till today. And how often have we really thought about the the meaning of those words and the theology incorporated in these Christmas songs? Because these are... These words are just steeped in, in theology and, and meaning, just meaning. And so these words, the words of this first verse here, paint a really vivid picture in our minds about the events surrounding the birth of Christ. O little town of Bethlehem. You know, I'm sure that we all have an image of, in our minds as we say, O little town of Bethlehem. We probably have an image of some little town somewhere. Um, we have some sort of association, mental association with what a little town is and what a little town is like. You know, maybe you picture... Uh, a little corner general store, or maybe some old run-down buildings, or maybe a, a town with just dirt roads, or, or no stoplights, or um, maybe it's just the kind of town where if you're driving too fast and you blink, you miss it. <laughs> little town of Bethlehem. And this is how still we see thee lie, above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. So add to the image of the little town, we have... We're told that the birth took place on kind of a, a, a silent night, a, a sleepy night. So it's the point in the evening maybe where no one is out about, no one is stirring, but everyone is home. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. And here we have dark versus light. And, and as we know in Scripture, dark versus light is symbolic of evil versus good a lot of times. And so we have the everlasting light appearing. Everlasting meaning eternal or uh, divine. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And this is referring to the long-awaited fulfillment of the prophecy of deliverance of sal- and salvation to the Jewish people. I believe the inspiration for these words came from the gospel accounts of Jesus' birth. Both Matthew and Luke mention Jesus being born in the town of Bethlehem. But is the Gospel of Matthew that affirms Jesus, um, that Jesus being born in Bethlehem is a fulfillment of ancient messianic prophecy. So if you do have your Bibles today, um, I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. I'll give you just a moment to get there. We're just going to read a portion of this, of this story that maybe we don't always key in on. Matthew 2 says, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. 
They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least amongst the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So the chief priests and the scribes informed Herod that according to the scripture, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And both Matthew and Luke uh, record and confirm that this is exactly what happened. Now, one thing you may not notice about this is that initially the Roman king and the Jewish religious leaders seemed to be unaware that the Messiah had been born. He said, it, because the first part of that first verse says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the Magi, it says the Magi show up and they start asking around. And so it seems as though the king, the Roman king, the Jewish leadership, the, the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees were kind of unaware that this was going on. And so it's awesome that God chooses, God chose some really unlikely people to reveal the birth of his son to. Uh, Luke, he records that an angel announces the birth of his son to some shepherds that were uh, shepherding their, and watching over their flocks in a nearby region. Matthew records that the appearance of a star reveals it to the Magi, who were, um, historically speaking, they were kind of mystics and astrologers in the East. And so the shepherds, they, they go and they see this newborn king, and then they go to the, throughout the region, sharing with everybody that they come in contact with what had happened. The Magi, however, revealed it to the Roman king and to the Jewish religious leaders when they arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is this newborn king of the Jews? So Herod, he, he consults the chief priests and the scribes about the location and birth of the Messiah. And they, the chief priests and the scribes, turn to the prophets. And this is coming from uh, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, as quoted by Luke, or excuse me, by Matthew. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Now let me give you a little bit of background on, on Micah and on this prophecy. Because <clears throat> historically speaking, the nation of Israel was prone to repeating the same kind of cyclical pattern of behavior. They went in cycles over and over again, almost as if they were going in circles. You see, starting with, uh, starting with them being in Egypt and coming out of Egypt, God would usually deliver the Israelites from some foreign enemy, some foreign oppressor. And oftentimes, God would do this or accomplish this by sending a great leader, like a prophet or a king. The first one being Moses. And so, because of God's mighty works and his faithfulness to his people, um, the people would respond uh, to God's love with love in return, and they would draw close to him, and, and their dedication to him and their service to him would increase. Then they would enjoy a time of blessing and peace, um, during which they would usually get comfortable and start drifting away from God once again. Idol worship and sin and social injustice would start increasing. 
And so inevitably, God would allow another enemy to oppress his people once again. And usually this is for a combination of reasons. Number one, judgment. But number two, also in, in the same, at the same time to get them to turn back to him once again. So as we read the Old Testament, we see this over and over and over again, this cycle. Um, and, and they never seem to get out of it. And they had literally been repeating this cycle for hundreds of years. Now, before you think to yourselves, why did they keep repeating the same mistakes? Um, think about it. Because I'm sure that we ourselves or somebody that we know is kind of caught in the same cycle in their lives, right? Repeating the same mistake, going in circles over and over again, never really getting anywhere. I know I was that way for a while. And so um, we can't look too critically upon the Jewish people because we see that happening within ourselves. Sometimes we see that happening here today in other people's lives. Now, Micah, his ministry, um, he ministered at about the same time as Isaiah, as the prophet Isaiah. So they were kind of contemporaries. And they ministered at a point uh, where Israel had once again, in this same cycle, started drifting away from God. The Israelites, uh, they were worshiping other gods, and sin and, and social injustice had really just consumed their whole nation. So God, once again, sends his prophets. God condemns his people for what they're doing, for, for how they're living. And his prophets, they in turn foretell of impending judgment that will happen if their hearts remain unrepentant. But in the midst of the gloom and doom of all these prophecies, God always puts a little promise in there. God always puts a little promise in there. He always promises that even though Israel is going to go through a tough time, even though that they're going to face uh, destruction as a nation, even though maybe some of their things are going to be carried away, even though um, their houses are going to be ransacked, maybe the temple is going to be destroyed, that God will once again remember his people and bring forth another leader another prophet, another king, to take control of the situation, to rise up and to lead them once again, and to rescue them. God always promises to deliver a Messiah to them. So what happened following the ministry of Micah and Isaiah? Well, the Babylonians came and destroyed Israel. They were unrepentant. They kept going the same way they were going. They didn't listen to the prophets at the time. And um, the Babylonian nation just came and destroyed Jerusalem. Now, in years past and in times past, what would happen is they would, uh, you know, an army would come and they'd destroy the place. They'd kill some people. They'd take some stuff and they'd leave. But this time, this Babylonian nation, they took captive thousands and thousands of Israelites and carried them off. Carried them off to their country. And they went back into captivity once again.
God does eventually deliver his people from exile in Babylon. But you see, this time is different. God doesn't deliver them in the way that they were accustomed to in times past. You see, what they were used to in times past was... Kings such as David rising up and, you know, being a great military leader and uh, defeating the enemy in, in, in military battles. And then they would rebuild the kingdom and they'd be strong and they'd be mighty and they'd be wealthy and blessed. But that's not what happened exactly this time. God didn't raise up a prophet like Moses um, to um, do all sorts of signs and wonders and give them a miraculous deliverance. But this is probably the way they were anticipating it to go, especially if they were familiar with the prophecies of Isaiah and Micah. They were probably in Babylon holding on to these things and saying, one day God's going to deliver us once again. But God didn't do it that way. You see... When God delivered them in Babylon, they were just simply let go. They were simply released. And so this wasn't this climactic uh, victory. There there wasn't this uh, miracle. There there wasn't uh, this great victory that uh, gained them all this wealth and and, um, strengthened them as a nation. But this time they kind of just limped back. They limped back and they they just did their best to rebuild what they could, how they could. But they never reached that former glory that they knew in the days of their kings, in the days of David, in the days of Moses. Now fast forward about 700 years to the time of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Micah and Isaiah prophesied these things 700 years before Jesus ever came to this earth. And they were right on. Simply amazing, but that's God for you. So fast forward 700 years to the time of Jesus, and Israel is in the same place once again. Israel is now under the oppressive control of the Roman Empire. The Romans are there and they have, um, they have taken over the land and their military presence is there. And they're taxing the people and they're abusing the people. And so the Jewish people, once again, you know, they're, they've still got this prophecy, you know, in their back pocket. They've still got this little hope that God told them about this Messiah, this great Messiah that he was going to be sending. And so I can only imagine during that time, during the Roman time, that they were thinking, well, maybe it wasn't God's plan to send the Messiah at that time, during the Babylonian captivity. Maybe, maybe God is saving him for now. And so you can, you can almost sense that maybe they were just still clinging on to that distant hope that that Messiah would still be coming. Because God promised it, didn't he? And their experience with prophecy is the same as ours. God's words are yes and amen. He always comes through. So they carried this hope, albeit a distant hope, that God would still send the Messiah to lead them 
and help them overthrow their oppressors and reestablish the kingdom of Israel to the glory it once knew, a glory that they had read about and heard about. God would send the Messiah, but a different type of Messiah than the one that they had expected or the one they had read about in their scriptures, which is our Old Testament. His entrance onto the scene would not be one of pomp and circumstance. The Gospels tell us he was born in a stable on a quiet night in the sleepy little town of Bethlehem. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in the dark streets shineth the everlasting light, the hopes and fears of all the years. Seven hundred of them are met in thee tonight. So how were the hopes and fears of that last 700 years or so met when Jesus was born? Because Jesus did not overthrow the Romans, as we know well. Jesus did not reestablish the kingdom of Israel in the same manner as David had established it initially uh, hundreds of years prior. These hopes and fears were met through the coming of a Savior of a different kind. The Messiah did not save them from the oppression of the Romans. He saved them from the oppression of sin. You see, the Israelites didn't know it, but ultimately it was not Palestine. It wasn't the Palestinians. It wasn't the Edomites who conquered them. They didn't understand that it wasn't the Assyrians or the Babylonians who enslaved them. It was their sin. It was their turning from God. It was their worship of false idols. It was their social injustice. It, it was their sin that oppressed them. It was their sin that conquered them. It was their sin that defeated them. And so because they didn't realize it, they were caught in this cycle of going through it over and over and over again. A cycle that they were never, ever able to free themselves from. So now we have the Messiah. And Isaiah, and we all are familiar with Isaiah chapter 53, I, I hope, um, the, the, uh, the prophecy of the suffering servant. And I just want to read a little excerpt of this, because this also came 700 years prior. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. You see, these prophets 700 years ago told them what kind of Messiah to expect. And had they been able to see things through the eyes of the prophets, they would have seen who the real enemy was, and they would have seen what kind of Messiah was being sent to deliver them. But instead, they totally missed it. They're used to being in that same sin cycle over and over again. They were used to the same thing happening. They were used to God delivering them, sending this military leader, reestablishing the kingdom, and just giving them glory on earth. But it wasn't to be this time.
Now, as we celebrate the coming of our Lord and Savior on that little night, or on that night in the little town of Bethlehem, excuse me, 2,000 years ago, we remember that we have been given a new uh, blessed hope, as Paul calls it in his letter to Titus. New prophecies, right? Concerning a second coming of the Messiah. Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. They all, they all talk about Jesus and his role as a prophet because Jesus fulfilled that role of priest, prophet, and king for all of us. And that's what was prophesied in the Old Testament. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke also, uh, we, we hear Jesus prophesying of the future, of his second coming. And he promises that he's going to return once again to gather his people up, right? John 14, 2, Jesus says that he's going to prepare a place for us in his Father's house. And he will come again and receive us unto himself. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 Paul prophesies that when Jesus comes back for his people, the dead are going to rise first and those living, still living will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And again, this is not meant to be an exhaustive list, but um, 2 Peter 3.7-13 Peter tells us that the present heavens and earth will be thrown into the fire and that we should be looking forward to a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Revelation 21, verse 4, and 22, verses 3 through 5, John writes that God will wipe every tear from our eyes. I really love that. I love that promise. I love that prophecy. And that there will be no more death. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. That there will be no more curse, praise the Lord. That there will be no more night or day because God himself will illumine us and that we will reign with him forever. So we've got our own prophecies. And I believe that God is telling us today that even though we look back on these prophecies and, and how Jesus fulfilled them, we can't just get fixated on the past, but we need to look to the future and what God has pro promised and prophesied will be happening. While we hope in these promises, we are also um, forewarned of the days leading up to the second coming of the Messiah, aren't we? And again, this is not meant to be an exhaustive list, but, you know, we're, we're told that there will be wars and rumors of wars and natural disasters. We are told that believers will be deceived and turn away from the faith. That the world will hate Christians and persecute them. Now, I'm sorry, I know this is not your typical Christmas message, but... And believe me, I fought it, but I felt like the Spirit of the Lord wanted me to share this. We are told that he will come on the clouds. We are, told, we are told that he will come at the sound of the trumpet, right? And all four, Jesus, Peter, Paul, and John, all admonish us to be ready, right? 
we are told to be ready. Be ready, be ready, be ready, because we do not know the day and the hour in which he will come. Be ready, be ready, be ready. Not ready as in packing our bags or putting our affairs in order. Not that kind of ready. Ready as in spiritually ready. That our hearts are right with God. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, many of the Jews were not ready. They weren't ready. They weren't ready to receive them. Their, their hearts were not right with God. And because of it, they missed the coming of the Messiah that they had been talking about and hoping in for 700 years. Now again, we can look back at the Israelites and be very critical of them. But just a minute ago, we talked about how we ourselves and people we know get caught up in the same cycles. Be ready. The question is, will we listen to the prophets and prepare ourselves for him coming again? I want to just leave you with a, a couple of quotes for, from some spectacularly bad prophecies uttered by various authors. The first prophecy is, Law will be simplified. Lawyers will have diminished and their fees will have vastly curtailed. Said by a journalist, Junius Henry Brown in 1893. Spectacularly bad prophecy. Um, it would appear that we have reached the limits of what is possible to achieve with computer technology. This said by a computer scientist, John von Neumann, in 1949. He hasn't lived in the age where when you buy a piece of technology, a new one comes out the next day. The next one, nuclear-powered vacuum cleaners will probably be a reality within 10 years. Said by Alex Lewitt, president of the Lewitt Vacuum Cleaner Company in 1955. And I like this one. Before man reaches the moon, and this one came in 1959, so before man reaches the moon, your mail will be delivered within hours from New York to Australia by guided missiles. We stand on the threshold of rocket mail. Said by Arthur Summerfield, U.S. Postmaster General, in 1959. Spectacularly bad prophecies. But let me tell you this. Jesus literally fulfilled hundreds, hundreds of prophecies concerning his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Statisticians have tried to calculate the odds of this, and the number is so big that I, I, we couldn't even put it on the, on the screen. There's so many zeros. I think it's said like 1 to, times 10 to the 57th power, the chance that one man would fulfill all these prophecies. And I assure you that he will fulfill all the prophecies concerning his second coming as well. 
But with that comes a little bit of a caveat. It is also prophesied that in the last days many will be led astray, right? By false teachings, by false Christs, by the cares of the world. And that because of persecution, many hearts will grow cold. Now these are the only prophecies in the Bible that I don't want to be any part of. So I think God's message for us today concerning all that we've talked about is, is be ready. Are we ready? And it's easy for us to go through the Christmas season and get distracted. And I know that we all try and focus, and we try and focus on Jesus because there's so many things going on. There's family events, there's um, in-laws coming in, there's presents to be bought, there's decorations, there's parties, there's Christmas plays. There, children's got to be here and there and everywhere. And so we all as Christians every year try to redouble our efforts to focus on Christ and the meaning of the Christmas season. But let's face it, practically speaking, that doesn't always happen. Or it doesn't always happen to the extent that we would like. So if we let just the Christmas season distract us to keep our focus from being on Christ, what will happen when the events of the end times increase? Will we be ready? As we close this service, I do want to take a moment um, so that we can all examine our hearts to see if we would be ready if the, coming of the second coming of the Messiah happened today. I believe that the Holy Spirit really wants to do something in some people's lives today. I believe He really wants to speak to people today. And so it would be remiss for us not to give Him that opportunity So I would like us all to go ahead and, for just a few moments, close ourselves in with God, allow His Spirit to speak to us, and just honestly, honestly ask ourselves, if Jesus came back today, would we be ready? keeping in an attitude of prayer, keeping our eyes closed and our heads bowed. I just want to um, give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to 
to um, just touch some people's lives. And I feel like um, the Holy Spirit led us this way for a purpose, that there are some people out there right now that may be caught in this endless cycle, this <clears throat> this circle that they, they just keep going through over and over and over again. Maybe the cares of this world, maybe things have led you a little bit astray. And maybe you're not sure if in this moment, if the, Christ, if the Messiah came for a second time, that you would be ready. And maybe you want to, in this moment, take an opportunity to make yourself, to, to make your heart right with God. And have an encounter with Him. So I want to give you that opportunity. So um, just respectfully keeping your eyes closed because we don't want to embarrass anybody. If there is anyone in here that wants to make themselves right with God, if they want to be ready, if they feel that the Holy Spirit, if you feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart and you want to have that encounter with God today, if you want to make yourself ready today, uh, just raise your hand quickly. You don't have to keep it up, but just... Slip it up for a moment and bring it back down. Hallelujah. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's just all pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, we want to be ready. We want to be ready to receive you. We know that you are coming and that your coming may be near. And we want to be ready. If there is anything within us that would cause us to miss you, pray that you would heal us of it, deliver us of it, set us free from it today, because we don't want to miss you. We thank you for all that you are going to do. We look forward to your coming again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you want to stay in an attitude of prayer, if you if you want to spend some more time with God, feel free to remain here and just pray. Come to the altars if you want. If you feel dismissed by God, go ahead and um, and be dismissed. <laughs>